on this episode of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. We've all reinvested in our properties. So now people can come downtown and say, gee, I can look at the light show and the history and the old lights and the neon, but also I can stay downtown, I can eat downtown, I can drink downtown, there's shows. There's so much happening in downtown every weekend that wasn't originally happening. So you've got so many more reasons for people to stay and play downtown versus before it was just, oh, we'll visit it for a day, but then we'll go back to the strip. Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 88 of the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Before we get into this episode of the show, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge a very important milestone for the podcast. We've passed into a territory that, from what I understand, is somewhat rare in the podcast world. The Jeff Does Vegas podcast has officially garnered over 100,000 total downloads. This thing has become so much bigger than I ever anticipated it would. And that wouldn't have happened without two very important groups of people. First off, you guys, the loyal listeners. It's because of all of you that the show has reached this huge milestone. And it's because of your interaction and engagement that I've made the decision to come back and start putting out new content. So thank you, each and every one of you. And secondly, I have to give a massive shout out to all the guests who have been gracious enough to appear on the podcast. Over the last almost three years, I've had the pleasure of sharing some amazing stories and talking to some very, very cool people. Without all of you, there would be no show. So again, thank you all. All right, enough of that. Let's get into the episode. When it opened on July 1st, 1971, at the corner of 1st and Main in downtown Las Vegas, the Plaza Hotel and Casino, or the Union Plaza, as it was known at the time, was billed as the largest hotel and casino in the world, with more than 500 rooms on the property. Through the course of its history, the plaza has managed to cement itself in Las Vegas pop culture in a variety of ways, from serving as an anchor on the west side of Fremont Street to its numerous appearances in TV shows, music videos, and movies, possibly the most memorable of which was serving as the model for Biff Tannen's Pleasure Paradise in Back to the Future Part 2. Over the last 50 years, the property itself has seen a lot of changes as well. It's been through renovations, upgrades, facility additions, and ownership changes. And as the plaza celebrates its 50th anniversary, I'm joined on this episode of the podcast by Jonathan Jossel, the CEO of the Plaza Hotel and Casino. We talked about his pre-Vegas life and what led him to taking over the plaza in 2014, what he thinks is behind the recent uptick in visitorship to downtown Las Vegas, some of the cool niche experiences that the plaza offers, what's in the future for the plaza, and much, much more. Please enjoy my conversation with Jonathan Jossel. 
I was born in South Africa, uh, in Johannesburg, and um, moved with my family pretty soon thereafter to London, England. Grew up there, uh, went to university in a town called Birmingham, which is about an hour and a half outside of London. In London, there's these little bookies on every high street, every corner. Uh, today in America, everyone knows William Hill, but no one knew William Hill probably a decade ago. But in England, William Hill, Ladbrokes, Carl, there's a bunch of these little bookies. And uh, I was always a fan of them. I would always find myself in them more as a customer than, uh, than on the business side, but just enjoying the uh, horse racing, the dogs. Uh, back then, they had the fruit machines. And so I always had an interest in the gaming industry. Um, <clears throat> and then when I went to university in Birmingham, I was studying at that time the proliferation of casinos in the UK, which was this idea that in around early 2000, there was going to be what they called Las Vegas-style casinos opening up in England. And the, the work that I did basically focused on the pros and cons of what that would mean for uh, the, the, the country, the impacts, positive, the positive side, the negative sides. And through that process, funnily enough, I met a gentleman uh, who was family, friends of, with my family, that had just invested in downtown Las Vegas. And he bought six casinos. And so every day you meet a man that just bought six casinos in downtown Las Vegas. But in 2004, 2005, that wasn't quite as glamorous as it sounds today. And he had a vision, much to his credit, that downtown Las Vegas would be similar to other downtowns in America. And he had met with Oscar Goodman and heard the vision for what he had. And he had bought a building as well in Times Square in New York that um, if you knew Times Square in the 80s, it wasn't a very desirable area. But with some nice cleanup, uh, it became a huge destination, arguably the central destination in all of America for tourism. And he was a part of that. So he thought downtown Las Vegas could have a similar cleanup story and revitalization story. So he bought these six casinos from a gentleman by the name of Jackie Gorn. Uh, Jackie Gorn was a pioneer of Las Vegas. He bought the he built the Alcatraz, but he also built the Plaza, the Las Vegas Club. And he had a hand in everything that was happening down here, very much so with the, uh, with the Boyd family and a few other sort of founding fathers of, of our town. And uh, he bought these properties with the idea to clean them up. And I moved out here because two years into that plan, the partnership that he had wasn't uh, going the way he anticipated. He needed someone on the ground to help oversee everything. And I was the only person that worked for him that didn't have a family, a house, and was sort of tied to the UK. And I felt like uh, I was 23. So I wanted an opportunity. I wanted to see something different. So I came out here in July 2007. I had actually been out here to visit in 2005 when he first did the acquisition. That was my first sort of work experience for him. And I lived in the plaza in a derby suite on the 21st floor. It was nothing like it is today. <laughs> and as a 20-year-old, it wasn't that great because I wasn't 21. Didn't really see the vision that he had back then. So uh, left in 2005, came back 2007. And it had really, the first day I got here, I landed. It was July 5th, 2007. I went to the downtown cocktail room, which was the first bar essentially in downtown. And uh, I was like, wow, there's some like young, normal people getting involved in this area. This was not the case just two years ago. And uh, I began to see a, a, a vision that this actually could become something. And, you know, my family's in England. It made no sense for me to move everything to Las Vegas. But three months turned to six months, turned to a year. And I just got more and more in love with the area and the potential for the change of a year. You have to remember, this is 
This is pre-Fremont Street experience becoming what it is today. This is pre... The, the Golden Nugget was there, but there was nothing else really down there. Uh, there was no East Fremont. There was no Arts District. There was no Tony Shea. None of the things that ultimately came to be today were there in 2007. So you, you had to have a vision to see that this could potentially become something. But I loved it. And I was willing to give up, obviously, everything I had in London to take a shot on it. And um, fortunately for me, it worked out well, both personally and uh, professionally. And then how long was it before you moved into the position you hold now, uh, which is uh, CEO of the Plaza? It's, it's kind of a, a funny story. I didn't come out here to get involved in the gaming operations side of it. I came out here on the re real estate side to do new development. We wanted to build residential. We wanted to build retail. We wanted to revitalize the whole downtown area. We still, to this day, own random real estate properties, some in East Fremont, some in the Arts District. And that's kind of what I was more focused on. But what took place in 2007, I think the day I got here, was the beginning of the downturn, the major recession, where the subprime market crashed. And there was no redevelopment taking place. We still believed things could happen, but it gave me an opportunity to see the, the casino operations and the hotels. And unfortunately, because things were going so badly, the focus wasn't on development. The focus became survival. And it gave me this time to see what was going to happen to these casinos and the hotels. And I got to know the team members that worked here. And I heard the stories of what made the plaza so famous and so great once upon a time. And so when, when the things kept getting worse and worse, and this is from like 2008 to 2010, it gave me an opportunity to learn the business, which I took with uh, two hands because I loved, I loved the industry. I just never knew I'd have the opportunity to learn under some really experienced great operators and in 2010 what happened was the fountain blue went bankrupt and decided to sell all their furniture once it got sold and once that happened i got way more invested in the remodel of the plaza the, the rebranding of the plaza i wasn't in any capacity involved in the operations or anything like that but i was helping to oversee this redevelopment and we did that we closed the plaza in 2010 remodeled in 2011 uh, between 2010 and 2011, reopened at the end of 2011. And it just didn't go the way it was intended to go. Um, the, the, the project just wasn't an instant hit, partially, I think, because the, the market just hadn't come back, but also because, frankly, the team here just did things that didn't work out and uh, left the customers feeling. It was packed that first two weeks. Everyone came to see the new plaza. But after a period of time, it just didn't sustain itself. And to me, that was a reflection on what we had here wasn't good enough and whether it was the service the experience the remodel it just wasn't quite there and so that took place over the next two to three years it kept getting worse again to the point where i finally said i was 28 and i went to the owner and i said listen uh i said let me get the gaming license i think i can fix the plaza if i'm in charge and he said you're 28 years old what are you going to do with the plaza and i gave him my plan and he was crazy enough to let me go forward with the license and uh, it took about a year to go through the gaming process. And at 29, I got the gaming license and became the CEO. That was 2015. So it's been six years. So 28, 29 years old, taking over as the CEO of a Las Vegas resort, hotel, casino. You had to have been the youngest CEO at the time. And I would imagine you're still one of the youngest. Would you not be? Uh, well, I'm not that young anymore. I'm 37 now. So uh, I think I think at the time I recall, you know, I don't really uh, think of it like that. But at the time I recall the gaming control board saying I was the youngest 
licensee they'd ever had um, that wasn't through a family. So there is like family structures whereby uh, a father will say to the son or the daughter, get them licensed for whatever reasons. I was an independent operator. Uh, I still am an independent operator. And so they said I was the youngest. Um, I haven't verified that. So I'd, I'd have to go back. I don't know today if there's anyone younger. I'm not 100% sure about that. I, I guess we could look into that. But um, I, I, it wasn't like a thing where I thought, oh, geez, I'm so young. I had been in the plaza for, at that time, since 2007. So I've been here like seven to eight years. And I, I, just, I just believed that there was a ton of potential. And I'd spent countless hours getting to know the team members, getting to know the customers, watching what was wrong with the casino, the promotions. And I just, I'd spent hours standing in this building and I just like, this can, this can be better. And that's really what, that's what I was really focused on. So when you take over as CEO for the Plaza, then, I mean, what is your first priority when you jump in to that position? (laughs) I don't know if there was one first priority. I think there was a lot of, a lot of things that had to get done. And and what really struck me was this, the Plaza was the second, it's the second biggest hotel downtown in terms of room size. It still is the second biggest, but it's the biggest in terms of land space. It sits on 17 acres. I mean, just by way of reference, Circus sits on 2.3 acres, Um, and not including the garage, so it's a bit more. But in terms of pure land size, it's by far the biggest. In terms of room size, it's the second biggest. And it was kind of the forgotten child downtown. It wasn't relevant. Nobody talked about it. It wasn't well-known. It was in the outside of Fremont Street experience, and it didn't really have anything going for it. And I just felt like, it was a shame because at once upon a time, it was the head of Fremont Street. It was this iconic building. And so what I wanted was to bring it back to its uh, grander times. And I knew that was going to take a lot of time because you're not knocking it down and rebuilding it. As some people had suggested, it was more about really, truly uh, giving it time and organically improving it. So there wasn't one thing that I that I wanted to do, but but I wanted to put the plaza back on the map. I wanted to give it its identity back and and bring it back to the forefront of downtown, which I feel like we're well on the way to doing today. And you've brought in some pretty interesting experiences and, and such with, um, with the plaza. I mean, you guys, one of the most, and I only say it's odd because when I mention the sport, people kind of chuckle about it, but I've played it and it's one of the best sports ever pickleball. (laughs) You, you put kind of a weird, a weird focus on pickleball, which is so, Again, people kind of laugh at it or they go, what the heck is pickleball? Yeah, you know, it just gave us an identity up at the pool, something different up there, a way we could separate ourselves. And it's been a success. We also do rodeos downtown. We're the only ones with the rodeo facility downtown. We're the only ones that do uh, fireworks downtown. Uh, We we try to differentiate ourselves and also give people a reason to either visit us, talk about us. Uh, Fireworks, that's everyone in downtown know that it's the plaza shooting off, making all that noise again. So we try to find ways to to do things differently. I mean, the rodeo has been a huge success for us uh, in in bringing down those events, bringing those events downtown. So we're it's I'd say yes, pickleball is one of those sort of uh, strange ones, but it gives people a reason to come here, and uh, it's a great game. I play I play it myself probably once a week, and amazing to see the young community in Vegas starting to embrace it too. It was always seen as sort of an older game, but it's it's definitely getting more and more uh, younger. I mean. Prior to the Golden Knights, we tried to put the Wranglers, which was the original ice hockey team in Vegas, we tried to put them on our rooftop. So we, we're we cool in the sense that we are able to try things different. We're not uh, owned by a big corporate entity. If we want to try something, it's myself and the owner, Poyo Zabladovich in the UK, who can basically say yes to anything. And we try things and we 
don't always succeed, but we're willing to try things and, and hopefully, and luckily, they're uh, more successful than they're not. And speaking of differentiating yourself, um, something that I've noticed uh, about you as a CEO is that as opposed to some of the other large corporate entities that are out there, you are accessible, you are visible, you are out there, you are interacting with people on social media and uh, in person on the gaming floor and in the restaurants and and in the, the lounges and such. Um, in fact, one of your, your recent podcast episodes, I heard, uh, one of your co-hosts kind of almost uh, complaining about the fact of how accessible you are and that uh, everybody who comes to the plaza says they, that they, they know you, um, because of you've interacted with them on social media or something along those lines, being different like that as a CEO, was that a, a conscious decision and, and what led to that decision uh, I, I i think it's a sort of multiple answers to that question one the reason i did that in the first instance was because i wanted to learn i wanted to learn from the team members and i wanted to learn from the customers you know when you come to town a, a big mistake a lot of people make is they think they know everything especially guys you know i saw this happening guys would come in from out of state and they they would think that vegas is simple and this and that and they didn't they didn't respect the locals and the nature of the town so I think uh, I wanted to get to know the people. I wanted to learn from whether it's customers or employees, what works, what doesn't work, and what's actually happening in the building. You know what I mean? If you're sitting from 10,000 feet up above, you don't know what's really happening. And yeah, it's annoying to them because I'm walking around every single day taking pictures of things I don't like or things that need to be different. And But that's what you got to do. It's, it's, it's a boots on the ground mentality. In fact, when I went for my gaming license, I told the gaming commissioners, and I'll never forget this, I told them uh, the best fertilizer in the field are the farmer's footprints. And uh, it, was a, it was a quote I read somewhere. I don't remember exactly where, but I think that's what made them improve me because they're like, what the hell? There's this kid quoting uh, to us. But it's true. You know, when you walk the floor, you talk to people, you shake hands, you get to know people. Uh, it's the best. And, and, you know, when I was first taking over, it was a little crazy because I was changing things that I knew weren't good for the property. And customers were coming up to me and, almost abusing me. I mean, one guy told me, well, I'll see you when you put the padlocks on the building, when you go out of business for all these changes that you're making. And that's what made me realize that's the right decision because these guys are all advantage players or they're taking advantage of our systems. And that's how you learn by being in the, by being down there and, and, and figuring out what's really going on. So uh, that was the first part of it. But then the second part of it is I genuinely just enjoy the business. I, I don't even see it as a business. Like I come here to work. I go down to the coffee shop. I'll talk to anyone that's down there. I'll sit in the coffee shop and have lunch. I, I just like to be here. And so for me coming here on a Saturday or Sunday, it's not like, damn, you're working on the weekend. It's like, no, I'm hanging out. I'll come here to watch a game. I'll come here for drinks. It's just where I like to be. So it's not that I'm purposely trying to uh, meet people. It's just what I like to do, which is to hang out at the plaza. And that's why I'm here. And so uh, that's a big part of it. I think there's a couple of people downtown that genuinely enjoy being in their operations. And it, for, the, for us, it's more about this is just fun as opposed to I'm here working. In the beginning, it was definitely I got to get to know people. I got to learn. I got to now I just like to be here to shake hands, meet people and, you know, tell them a story, hear their story. And it's, it's just the Vegas way. Well, as I say, I mean, it's it's definitely different from what you would get at other properties. I mean, you don't see 
uh, the CEO of MGM Resorts International wandering through the lobby at New York, New York, or the Excalibur, uh, shaking hands and, and visiting with with the guests at that hotel. It's just, uh, it, it's it seems to be just a very different mindset. Yeah, it's great. I mean, listen, and, and then, of course, there's social media where you can interact with people directly. That's great. You just, you, you can't put a price on that. I mean, I believe that, I don't believe this is this is just to be true, that we're all got the same slot product. The differentiation comes from the people in the buildings and the experience that you offer somebody. And the experience for me, when I go to a restaurant or I go to another property of, of knowing someone, being taken care of, feeling that somebody actually cares about your experience, you can't replace that. And so, yeah, I, don't, I guess they don't do it on this trip enough, but uh, it's it, again, it's something that we enjoy doing. And it's something that I encourage our team to do as well, just to be present, to be out there and have fun here. Something that I wanted to touch upon, and it's uh, a tough one for me to to ask about because um, having not been to Las Vegas myself in in 18 months, almost two years now, but something that I've definitely seen on various uh, Vegas-related Facebook pages that I'm involved with, and I've heard from people who have been able to get down to Las Vegas, is it seems like there's been a real shift in interest from the Strip to downtown. And I know that that kind of seemed to be starting a little bit prior to the pandemic closures, but it seems like it's, it's blown up even more so since, uh, the reopening following the pandemic. Um, what do you think the reason for that is? Is there a specific reason you think that people are trying to uh, spend more time downtown as opposed to on the strip? Yeah, for sure. It's everything that we've, uh, we've been working towards, um, you know, there's definitely been a shift. I don't even know if it's since the pandemic. I think we saw it happening before the pandemic. Downtown was the fastest growing gaming submarket in, in, in the state. So it's definitely been happening. I think the pandemic maybe has helped a little bit because downtown rebounded quicker and that we opened up quicker. Uh, a lot more amenities happened. Of course, Circa came to the market, which is the first ground up casino downtown, which helped all of us downtown. Um, but I think really what's happened is that to me, downtown was always a destination. You saw that in the numbers coming to Fremont Street Experience. The problem was, I think people would come down here from the strip and say, gee, I saw the light show, now what? But now you've got nice restaurants, you've got great steakhouses, you've got great restaurants, and not just on Fremont Street Experience, but further down, you've got great bars uh, in the Arts District, in East Fremont, you've got four new pools in the last few years, you've got new hotel rooms. You know, we, we've all re- uh, reinvested in our properties. So now people can come downtown and say, gee, I can look at the light show and the history and the old lights and the neon, but also I can stay downtown. I can eat downtown. I can drink downtown. There's shows. There's so much happening in downtown every weekend that wasn't originally happening. So you've got so many more reasons for people to stay and play downtown versus before it was just, oh, we'll visit it for a day, but then we'll go back to this trip. And then when you finally add in the fact that there's nice amenities and better offerings, of course, value comes into question. And the value downtown is a better value, whether it's the cost of a drink, whether it's the cost of your meal, whether it's the cost of your hotel room or your gambling odds. I don't know that you're getting a uh, single zero roulette on the strip anymore. I don't know that you're getting uh, three to two blackjack, 10 times odds on crabs. You might at a couple of places, but for the most part, people that want a good gamble they know that that's not happening as much on the strip anymore as it is down here. And that's something that we embrace. 
other than that shift to more interest in downtown Las Vegas, what are some of the other big changes that you've seen in the city over the last several years in the time that you have been um, living in Vegas and working in Vegas? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I've seen, obviously, in the last few years has been the introduction of sports to our town. You know, we never had sports prior. Now you got the Golden Knights, you got the Raiders, you got the Las Vegas Lights, you got the Aces, you got the Aviators. UFC has always been down here in town as an exclusive thing for, for us. So, I mean, now you've got a real sports, I think, and NASCAR is a big one. Um, that wasn't there a few years ago. And then the what I'm most excited for downtown is this idea that people are starting to live downtown. You know, when I met with uh, some of the other operators off the strip, whether it's like the South Point, for example, they do great because they have a local business during the week. Downtown really hasn't had that because there's no one. There was no one living down here. There, I shouldn't say no one, but there wasn't critical mass downtown. But to the west of the plaza, there's just been built 800 apartments. Um, so once those get occupied, you're going to have a lot more people living downtown. There's more apartment buildings being built all around us. And to me, I think you know, as a as a city, it's just exploding in terms of population growth. But to see more people living downtown will be a really interesting dynamic for all of us casinos and hotels as to how that impacts our day-to-day business. And I know from my own experience in in traveling to Vegas and having friends that live there, downtown was always kind of the big locals hangout. So if now all of the sudden you've got an even bigger population base of people living downtown, I mean, that's excellent for, for you guys as independent operators downtown and that now you've got an even bigger group of people who will be spending a lot more time in downtown Las Vegas. Yeah, exactly. And and the ones that were visiting, you know, they were coming for a night out to walk the street, but I'm talking about people coming on a daily basis, whether it's for lunch, for dinner, playing bingo, having that built-in audience is something that we've never had downtown. If you look at the plaza, historically, if you look around us to the east, you had the Las Vegas club, which was uh, at the end of its life. And then you had to the south, the Greyhound bus terminal and to the west you had a dirt lot and you you fast forward 10 years the Las Vegas club's gone and been replaced by Circa the, the Greyhound bus station's gone and about to be replaced by something else and to the west the dirt lot's been developed into 800 apartment buildings so the neighborhood effect is really taking hold here at the plaza and downtown in general I just want to shift gears a little bit here and talk about uh, the podcast that you are a part of on the corner of main street. It is uh, the official podcast of the Plaza hotel and casino. And um, I, I just, it's such a cool idea for you guys to be doing this and, and using it as a, a marketing tool. What was the initial idea behind launching an official podcast for the Plaza? Well, you know, we started talking about different ways to engage with customers. Obviously, we've become much more involved recently in the YouTube community with slot players, which is a whole nother conversation and something I'm a big fan of. But the podcast became, well, how else can you in- interact with your customers, especially when they're not at the plaza? And, and it seemed like everyone was starting a podcast a few years ago. So we started doing it and then kind of never really picked up on it um, until the pandemic started. And then it was like, well, we're all remote i mean there was a couple of us coming to the hotel each day but there was nothing to do really so we were sort of remote and trying to figure it out and so we started doing 
a little bit more, whereby we felt like we, the people that could no longer get here, we'd be able to communicate with them and share with them what's really going on in Vegas. And then just from there, it sort of took a life of its own and started getting much more popular. People were engaging with us. And we realized if we wanted to do it on a more regular basis, it couldn't just be three or four of us sitting around talking. We'd have to start inviting some guests. So we started inviting some guests, mostly just people that I knew in the industry in the town. And it's kind of gone all over the place now. It's not just sort of gaming in downtown. We're having people from all walks of life join us on it. But it's more now just a fun thing. One, I like to hear this peop- our guests' stories. But two, it gives us a chance to interact. I mean, I'd say there's not a day that goes by that I'm not down in the casino and someone says, oh, I'm here because I heard your podcast or I like the podcast or can I get the shirt, the T-shirt, the, pod, the, the, the chips that we do. So we're finding ways to interact with people, meet people, and it's, it's really fun. I mean, we just get to meet people, hang out, and, and I love to hear the feedback from people that have heard it. So that's, that's the, I guess that's the real thing that keeps me going because it, it is a time, uh, as you probably know, it is a time commitment to put them on and to, to plan it out each week, but you know, we've had fun doing it. And something that you do with the podcast that I think is kind of cool is you have your quote-unquote competition on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard episodes where you've had Derek Stevens on to have a conversation with you. And, and I think that that is just, it's so cool. And it kind of shows, um, I think it shows the, the, the community of downtown Las Vegas in that you guys are all sort of working towards a, a common goal. Like I feel if the, the big strip casinos were hosting podcasts, they wouldn't be having each other CEOs, on that podcast yeah i mean you, you gotta we, we're, we're careful when we say competition certainly there's a competitive spirit but it's much more important that we're all successful and if and if you know the el cortez is doing better or the four queens is doing better or the golden nuggets doing better we're all doing better so uh you know I'm, I'm i'm friendly with most of the operators and people and we had the el cortez on the podcast who have a great hit sense of the history obviously you mentioned derek we 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 embrace the um, the downtown, and to me, if they're all being if they're all busier, it's going to be the plaza is going to be busier for sure. We we've, we've always believed that downtown has to be successful in order for us to be successful, and so yeah, I see them as competition. But if we can help them out and they help us out, then even better. Let's talk about the plaza celebrating its 50th anniversary. This is a, a massively huge milestone for the plaza. So uh, big congratulations on, on that. Um, what type of events have you guys had over the course of the last year? And what kind of events do you still have to come through the remainder of the year to celebrate this huge milestone? Well, you know, it's been really difficult, as you know, not being able to get to Vegas. It's been difficult for us to plan a 50th anniversary. Our ownership group is based out of England, and they wanted to be here for the 50th. They're not allowed to get into the country at the moment. So a big part of our plan was to do a celebration with them. But how do you plan that if you don't know when the country is going to be open? Now it looks like November, that that will happen. But of course, do we plan something with the risk that it doesn't happen? It's been really tough to plan our big events. We are... um, we are doing some casino promotions. We're giving away $50,000 in November. We did a, we did a fireworks show on our, on our birthday, which was July 2nd through the whole of July 4th weekend. So we did three fireworks shows, but we haven't been able to do the big ribbon cutting music event and uh, show that we wanted to do. So we've been focusing on the improvements at the plaza, which I'll speak about in a minute. And then hopefully sometime next, uh, next year, we'll re- reignite the conversations of the plaza's 50th uh 
so that we can really get back on on track with that. But it's just been impossible to plan it with travel and events and the pandemic as as a whole. We just haven't really been able to to figure it out. And I guess in a way that's okay because um, we didn't want to do something and not do it appropriately and not have the appropriate people here. So uh, we're building two new bars um, at the plaza. One of them we've announced, which is the Sand Dollar, will be opening up here uh, probably in January. And that's going to be our sort of uh, everyday uh, lounge with live music seven days a week, great cocktails, great drinks, uh, nice environment, and and kind of what the Sand Dollar is now, but a slightly uh, higher-end version of it. And then we're doing a second bar, which is going to be a wow feature, touristy, in front of the property it's going to be really spectacular outdoors and uh something that we're really going to be excited to announce hopefully sometime next month and with the grand opening of those two venues we should be able to put together our 50th anniversary event and hopefully by then you know the country's open somewhat back to normal and our and, and all of our friends and family can travel to be here Absolutely. Uh, Jonathan, if people want to track you guys down uh, online and social media, how can they go about doing that? Uh, at Plaza Las Vegas on Twitter and Instagram and at Jonathan Jossel on Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. Jonathan, thanks again for jumping on. I really do appreciate your time. Anytime, man. Nice, nice talking with you. Thank you. Once again, you can connect with Jonathan Jossel via Twitter at Jonathan Jossel and be sure to check out the On the Corner of Main Street podcast with Jonathan and his co-hosts Lisa Melmed and Gary Vickery. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts or by hitting the podcast link at plazahotelcasino.com, which is also where you can book a stay to check out the plaza and take part in their 50th anniversary celebrations. Of course, all these links are posted in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. And that wraps up another episode of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas, or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcast so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. The Jeff Does Vegas podcast is a Walker New Media production.